0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah.
1: everybody, and welcome once again to the only podcast on the net dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Leader. Yay. I'm Dave. I'm Laura. And I'm Erin. And it's all in the family episode, or a family affair. Um, we are all locked down for uh, the pandemic. How are we holding up, family?
2: Uh, okay. Could be
1: better, but could be worse, so...
2: I guess we have differing opinions here.
1: Not by much. We don't really. No, not by much. We've been getting along pretty good for three people, three peas in a pod, mm-hmm. locked in for how many weeks is it now?
2: I don't know. Maybe seven. Could be. It's just a guess.
1: So, Aaron, how have you been surviving?
2: Um,
3: it's been pretty hard, honestly, because I feel like I'm a person that really relies on a lot of social interaction. Um, And that's what I find a lot of joy in day to day. But um, I will say, I feel like, I guess I'm very grateful that so many people during this time are willing to connect in new ways, like connecting through Zoom calls and games online and all those different things, or just meeting up and staying far apart. I feel like all of my good friends are very committed to social distancing and following the rules. But we—that doesn't negate our desire to connect with each other and talk and still share good memories together. So, I think we're starting to figure out how to do that more regularly. So things are
2: definitely improving.
1: And you and your friend Kyle did a great job in the backyard today, staying ten yes. feet apart, 10 uh, feet with masks, masks on. Yep, it was oh, great. I
2: forgot Kyle was here.
1: Yeah, Laura, how have you been working from home?
2: I've been working from home remotely. We use Zoom a lot, make a lot of phone calls. Um, Part of my job, a small part of it, was from home anyway, so it's not that irregular. Although, yeah, it was an adjustment at the beginning more than now. I'm getting used to it.
1: Excellent. Excellent. for letters thank you adam it's
2: it's actually nice a family
3: affair it is a family affair he's here with us yeah we're just missing one one piece of the pie two pieces of the pie and aaron do you have a letter there adam's here oh i see okay yes i do have a letter to start off from mark bloom who is actually writing from switzerland um I hope everything is going well over there. I know that Europe um is mostly coming off of their coronavirus pandemic per se, but yeah. Hopefully they are recovering well and everyone is safe and healthy. So Mark Bloom wrote, Dear Dave and Jeff, thanks for your note. While we did have one player once a player from the US, I understand that it would be a long trip for you to attend our tournament. Also, in our times of the climate crisis, we all should always think twice about flying, especially overseas. That's something I definitely agree with. I do appreciate your support, though, by tweeting about it and even mentioning the Alpenfestung in your show. I listened to your last episode and learned about machine guns and fire lanes. It was a nice trigger, pun intended, to get the rules out and look up some details, like what happens if an enemy unit enters your hex and you have a fixed CA by firing from woods, buildings, or rubble. Keep on enjoying playing ASL. Greetings from Switzerland, Mark.
1: All right, Mark. Uh, we don't know if, if the Alpenfestung is going to be happening this year, of course, now. Uh, it is getting into May. We got this letter a long time ago, in February, but uh, we'll find out soon, I suppose. Laura, do you have a letter there?
2: Yes. This is from Martin Beeler. All right. He's from Nyack, New York. I'm not sure if that's how you say that.
1: Oh, I don't know. Mm.
2: What we- do you think, Aaron? Nyack?
3: Yeah, Nyack. Nyack? That sounds like a very American like way to say it. Like it's kayak.
2: kayak. So uh, I'll start this off. Dear Half Squads, please throw my name in the hat for the contest. I recently picked up ASL slash ASLSK again and have been enjoying your show immensely as I work through the rules and get back up to speed. Even if I didn't play ASL, I would listen to your show because it's just so darn appealing and charming and fun. Keep up the good work, sincerely, Martin.
1: Wow, that's so, quite the compliment. Charming, right? yes, yes, charming. Is that
2: you or Jeff? It's
1: usually, usually, charming. Usually, I'm the charming one.
2: <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I think you're charming.
1: And did he say he's just getting back in ASL or? Yes. Yeah. Well, welcome back to the fold, sir. Woo-hoo. I'd like to note that uh, we have a Patr- a Patreon sponsor. Our show is brought to you by listeners like Trip Trip von Minden. Thank you very much, Trip. And I have another letter here from Alan Hume. Alan said, I just saw the ASL Open has been canceled. It's a pity. They may hope they made the right decision. We were very lucky that heroes went ahead to Blackpool. And to be honest, any later I think it would have been canceled too. I'm just hoping and praying coronavirus blows over and things can get back to normal soon as saying that I don't think my government here in the U.K. is doing enough or taking it seriously enough, maybe when we get – like Italy, they'll take some stock and realize they should have done more. I think by this time now, they have. This letter came in a month yeah, ago or so, Yeah, right? Yeah. This is for Alan from Edinburgh. Laura, you've been
2: there. Yeah, I love that city. Anyway,
1: hope you guys are hunkering down. Rob has canceled our ASL game for the month, and our trips to local war games clubs make sense. I was supposed to be meeting Pete at the pub in a week's time, but that won't be happening now. Oh, well. I guess I can phone him, I guess, and that's costing me a small fortune to phone his mobile from my landline. I think I'll use my mobile to ring them in the future. Yeah, I'm sure there's a way you can get cheaper long distance there in Scotland. Anyway, sorry to see the Open has been canceled. It makes sense. And Burr University annual games convention, Compulsion, has just been canceled too. Take it easy. I hope we all get through this in one piece. From Alan. All right, next
3: we have a teacher story from Roger Brandon. He says, Hey guys, after hearing so many of Dave's stories from teaching... It made me think of something that happened when my dad was in high school. His friend's dad was the shop teacher and a veteran of, ooh, this is a big one, Guadalcanal. Uh Not a huge guy, but solid muscle. Well, one day there was a kid that was being extremely disrespectful. Mr. Hudson finally blew his top and tried to pull the guy out of his seat. It was one of those desks with the chair attached. The kid wouldn't let go of the desk, so in best Hulk fashion, Mr. Hudson grabbed the desk chair teen combo, lifted it off the ground, and threw it into his office, breaking through the wall.
2: Wow.
3: (laughs) That's crazy. Mr. (laughs) Hudson didn't get any big trouble. I can just imagine today it would be national news, and he and the school would be sued, etc., etc. It was the early 60s, so it might be that the kid's parents gave him even worse when he got home. I'd say the moral of the story would be that rebellious teens shouldn't take off World War II combat veterans. Roger. Good yeah. advice.
2: Yeah, that is good advice.
3: It's actually funny because I think that I remembered hearing a story from my junior high school of one of the teachers throwing a desk.
4: I'm and sure.
3: And it, it definitely went
1: down in history. Yep. So I'm sure the story did as well. Well, there's <laughs> actually a follow-up one right? letter right there from the oh. same person. So, Laura, do you want to try that one? Oh, Wait. sure.
2: Dave and Jeff, one thing about my story, after the incident... Oh, here we get a little Uh (laughs) follow-up. When Mr. Hudson walked through the hall, it was like Moses and the Red Sea. (laughs) Kids would all make plenty of room for him. I haven't seen 1917, but after hearing both of you, I'm sure I'll like it. Also, I totally agree with you guys about the F word in Witcher. Witcher. Filmmakers seem to think they need to insert modern characteristics into historical or fantasy worlds that really pull me out of the setting. In Lord of the Rings, when they had to reference dwarf tossing or Legolas snowboarding his shield down the banister, I like humor, but why insert a touch of farce into a classic? Peter Jackson is a great filmmaker, but he cannot improve on Tolkien. So, I guess I should be grateful he didn't fill... Lord of the Rings with profanity, rap music, etc. Though part of The Hobbit ended up feeling like an advertisement for a Disney theme park ride. (laughs) It would be wonderful if there were more filmmakers that tried to stick closer to classic books or in historical settings, try to remain closer to how people dressed, talked, and interacted. Most of us that love those books or have a deep interest in history aren't looking to see our modern, messed-up world transposed into those subjects. I'm really looking forward to the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde Spine and Sprocket. Roger.
1: Well, Roger, uh, yep, Spine and Sprocket's been on hold for a very long time. I haven't looked yet. Jeff and I actually were talking about scheduling it again um, this week, but I don't know what happened to that. So, Were
2: you supposed to do Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde?
1: We are still going to do it.
2: Oh, um, you must have advertised that on the yes. last
1: Yes, well, in, in between uh, on this show. So the... Thing is, we're doing next is the 1984 Fahrenheit 451. And Ooh, I then I read, know. what was the book I read? Brave New World. And Brave New World. Out, so we have like a this, trilogy like, of... Dystopian... Overly talked about books.
3: But they're great. That's so, why they're overly talked about.
1: <laughs> yeah. At least in my opinion. So hopefully we'll be recording that and st- and then doing the Jekyll and Hyde. And then we'll see what Spy and Sprocket does after that. I have a letter from... Grumble Jones, he just left a, a comment on the podcast. Ritter Krieg in the house. Awesome interview, guys. Thank you, um, and thanks to Derek again for that great interview, for sure. And we also had a donation to keep the show rolling. A very generous donation from Patrick Keane. Thank you so much, Patrick.
3: Next up, we have a letter from Andrew Stewart, who is writing from New Zealand. He says, hi, Dave and Jeff. I would like to enter the Commonwealth Counter Contest. Also, he's writing from down here in the South Pacific corner of the glorious Commonwealth, New Zealand. And he says he will be happy to pay postage. (laughs) He wrote, in the last couple of years, I have found a handful of players in New Zealand, even hosting a couple of micro conventions. One time we had six players. (laughs) One of the younger ones has really got the bug and is picking up new players himself, so that's looking good for the tiny ASL community of New Zealand. All the best. Roll
1: low and rally well. Andrew Stewart. Excellent. Thank you, Andrew. We're sorry you guys did not win. All these letters were reading for the Brentrance. Get it? It was giving away the British colors from Broken Ground Designs. Ding, 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 ding. It's like Brexit, but...
2: Oh, Not okay. Brexit. Wonder <laughs> yes. what that
1: meant. A winner was Hugh in that's Ireland, creative. so it wasn't overseas order. We had to have shipped out. Congrats! And that's I think it's on the way there, Hugh from Broken Ground Design. It's wonderful color counters, and uh, yeah, James, it's interesting to find out what's going on down there in New Zealand. We've just done some interviews with German people about the ASL scene in Germany. Maybe we'll have to try and get into touch with some of you from Australia. We did interview a few years ago at our tournaments, up here when they were at a tournament. So hmm. Carl wrote in and said, awesome hearing Derek describe how his shop came to be and his plans going forward. Another kudos for the Ritter interview.
2: This is from Jim Kloss. Hello, Dave and Jeff. Uh, please accept and enter this email into your contest for the Broken Ground British Counter Set. I really enjoyed your recent rules regarding, or rules episode regarding the defensive fire phase, and I'm sure it will be of great value to new players as well as the veteran players such as myself. On another point, I've been playing Korean War ASL scenarios exclusively since the release of the Forgotten War module, and I cannot recall having this much fun with a new ASL concept since the release of Code of. Ushido. yeah. I am sure I speak for more than a few of your fans when I suggest that a series of podcasts focusing on the new Korean War rules, terrain, new weapons, the Chinese, would be greatly appreciated. Considering the frequency of OBA and close air support in that conflict, a review of these rules sections should probably be considered as well. Speaking of Korea, if you haven't played it yet, I highly recommend... LFT's new Fight for Soul H-A-S-L In my opinion, it's the finest best looking and most extensively researched H-A-S-L since Festung Budapest Best wishes and keep up the good work Jim Kloss
1: Jim, yeah, since you wrote us that letter, I I think we did talk about our first Korean War game with Chris Walters, Mike Rizzi, and Dave Timonen. And we will be doing a deeper dive into the terrain times with all those also.
3: And we have a short little message from William Allred. He says, I just started listening to you guys, and I am loving it.
1: Excellent. That's great. A new listener. New listener. I have one from Jack Dempsey again. Hey, guys, as I write this, Brian Yauss of MMP is running two tournaments via Facebook and virtual ASL, V-A-S-L. ASL and A-S-L-S-K starter kits. It's tourneys. So um, I don't know any more about that, but thanks, Jack, for pointing that out. And um, everybody will have to check in with MMP and see if they got more of those tournaments going. Now, this was written in April 6th, so uh, it's already a month later.
3: Now we have a message from Pim, who lives in Holland, a.k.a. the Netherlands. Hi, Jeff and Dave. Should you be reviewing the free copy of... Oh, boy. I can Do you want to do the French, Mom? You took French. Tra- right?
2: de Guerre?
3: That's pretty good. That sounds perfect. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I t- I'm a Spanish speaker, not a French speaker. Let that be on the record. Um, second edition M M P must have sent you by now. I'm hoping that just for the occasion, you will employ your outrageous French accents.
1: We, oui, we, oui, we shall. We shall do that. Yes, we will. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Very good.
2: That's. Right. I don't know if outrageous is the word for that.
1: (laughs) Patiently
3: awaiting that remarkable episode and wishing you all the best. Thank you, Pim.
2: So Jason Cruz says, I made this little picture. I hope you enjoy. And it's this American Gothic.
1: Click on the picture.
2: Oh, I get it. Okay. We just opened it up. Um, So it's a farmer. And his wife looking very serious. American and, Gothic, a classic. Yes, and then uh, resting in the arms of the farmer is the ASL. What is it? Rule book. Rule book.
1: Yes, <laughs> it's the rule book. So I'll, we'll try and post that photo. I don't have, have I the
2: cover memorized.
1: Memor- <laughs> you should by but now, honey.
2: It had the had the letters ASL <laughs> on it, so it was a good guess. Yeah.
1: Oh, and from Roger Brandon, again, saying, Jeff and Dave, hope both of you are doing well. And it's a picture he sent in a cartoon. We're going to have lots of graphics to put up, aren't we? This is exciting. The listeners. Can you put the graphics
2: well, up on your uh, website? I, we
1: could try and post these photos if I could figure it out. Uh, <laughs> Bob Ross. Jeff got a chia head. And it was a Bob Ross chia head <gasps> as a gift from <gasps> Dennis Donovan. That's so cute. Mailed That's nice. to us. So there's the humor in this. The trees are fighting. They're not happy little trees. Aww.
3: Mm. Not happy with the (laughs) trees. All right. Next up is a letter from Robert. He says, guys, I'm sure you remember the interview we did on your podcast a couple of years back. You know, your best one ever.
1: Uh-huh. Very humble. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I was kidding. Yeah. Although it was a great interview.
3: Robert's kidding. Uh, no, I believe it. One of the topics discussed was the availability of the old At The Point fanzine. Well, I have just stumbled onto a site that has them on the net. And so he linked us to net. If this isn't already common knowledge, and it may be, for all I know, you might want to post a link for your many fans. Among lots of other stuff, these guys also have an old Avalon Hale. They have old Avalon
1: Hill publications, including The General. There you go. So, yeah, we'll take a look at that link and get that up. I still have paper copies, much to my wife's happiness, in a (laughs) box of those old newsletters I used to get mailed to the house pre-technology days. They would type these things up.
2: So how late
1: do they go back? Eight-page newsletters. How old are they? Early 90s, I think, late 80s. It's hard to get ASL content, and so these guys would literally type up these crazy fanzines and then you'd pay them like 10 bucks for you know a year or two of uh issues and they would mail them right to the house so i still have all those upstairs i'll have to dig them out and go through some of them another letter from oh my goodness we have jason another, sent
3: another picture another picture from jason he says he's promoted uh the show on his page in the past and he's done so again he appreciates all the work that you two have put into the episodes and he linked another picture. Do you know who
1: that is, Laura or Aaron? <laughs> I have no idea.
2: Oh, that's uh the Rolling Stones guy. who is this? Yeah, I don't know. yeah, the it's, Stones. Yeah, uh, it's Mick Jagger. Uh, Mick Jagger. Oh
1: yeah. my I don't goodness! Know who the other this guys. is embarrassing. Oh, I didn't recognize Mick Jagger. I know the other guy, but I can't think of his name right now. It's just as embarrassing. Well, they're iconic. What is it's that? Okay. What is that border? What are they doing?
2: <laughs> they're, they're playing NFL. Is that for real? Or did he doctor the photo? It's
1: got to be photoshopped. But it took me a minute, too. I'm looking at it going, wait, they can't ah. be. They're too young. It
3: looks really accurate, though.
1: To be that yeah. back in 85. Well, I 85. can't 85. <laughs> you never anyway, know. You found that photo. We'll try and post that one also. Yeah. I have a letter from yeah. Steve, Screaming Eagle 101. Hi, Dave and Jeff. Hope you're doing well. Preparing to go to West Coast melee in a few days. This goes back to February again. So, I don't know if the West Coast Melee happened. Yeah, it probably did. And a four-player Valor of the Guards campaign game, too, we started last year. Looking forward to that, and also looking forward to my first ASL Open at the end of March. Well, as we know, none of us are going now. So, anyway, I was asking if we wanted to play some scenarios, and we would like to maybe next year. So, maybe next year, anyone want to play with Steve doing some kind of a campaign game, Start thinking thinking it over, folks. Never too soon. This one here was oh. sent by your son Adam to me on my phone. He mentioned Corporal Wojciech. Who oh. is Corporal Wojciech? The
3: Polish bear and hero of World War Two.
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: Is that <clears throat> real? It's, it's real, yes. Adam sent me this, uh, just a reference to Corporal Wojciech. And I'm like, okay, I don't know who that is. So I... Google them up and take a look, Aaron. Describe us what you see there. I
3: see a bear, a bear being ridden by a Polish soldier. Um, Corporal Wojciech Perski was a Syrian brown bear and a hero of World War II. In 1942, he was purchased by the 22 Transport Company Artillery Division, Second Corp. Corp of the Polish Army in Iran. As a small cub, the soldier fed Wojtek con- condensed milk from a bottle. As he grew up, he developed a taste for beer, <laughs> wine, and cigarettes.
2: I'm guessing he was eating the cigarettes, not smoking <laughs> I don't know.
3: Hey, the world's a crazy place. He had his first brush with valor while still in Iran when he captured a thief who had broken into an ammunition's compound where he was sleeping. The ensuing commotion allowed the human soldiers to come and arrest the thief. Wow. As the 22nd Transport Company prepared to enter the war war zone in Italy in 1943, the soldiers and Wojciech encountered a logistical problem. Animals were not allowed to accompany the army during conflict. To resolve this issue, the company gave Wojciech a salary in the paybook, an official rank of private, and a serial number. He became an enlisted soldier.
2: The bear.
1: There you go. Yes. It says, wow. Goes on to say he fought at Monte Cassino and the artillery line. He didn't like the sound of gunfire. He moved crates um, of ammunition from the trucks to the cannon line. There you go. Jeez.
3: And There's the war over, thing. what happened to him? He was given to the Edinburgh Zoo. Oh. Edinburgh Zoo, where he lived out the rest of his days in peace. He passed away in December 1963 at the ripe age of 21. Rest in peace.
2: I wonder Work if roll. that's old for a bear. 21? Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> I just said ripe right because that
3: sounds young Well, to he's me, probably but... too many cigarettes he might have died younger. Yeah, <laughs> Definitely cutting his lifespan. Sounds like he had alcoholic tendencies, too. <laughs> true, true. Doesn't do
1: him any good. And I have a last letter from Jabo Fett, uh... Hey guys, the V3 cannon following the same naming scheme as the V1 and the V2 rockets, but it's an entirely different thing. The V3 was an extremely long barrel, mated with a number of different chambers. As the V3 fired its shells and the projectile progressed through the barrel, the other chambers would be tuned to detonate explosive charges subsequently to increase or maintain the velocity. Project as a whole is a failure, as the tolerances for mechanisms involved, the low barrel life. The cost, among other issues, were too much to overcome, and the V3 was hardly ever used. As for the Paris gun, at least there's one other railway gun that could outrange it, namely the Krupp K5, which could lob its projectiles. How far do you think in World uh, War I uh, and Two? One, I think this might oh, have been.
3: Oh, I don't want to sound dumb. I think... I think 50, uh, 50 miles? Miles?
1: Yeah. Really? 94 Miles? miles, yeah, they shelled Jeez. Paris from like a hundred miles away.
4: That's pretty that far. Yeah, in yeah. World War
1: One, I. I think this was one the Paris gun, but corrupt wow, K five. Those are railway guns. They actually had them on giant um, railway cars, and the train had to move the gun. You can Google it up and wow. take a look. But now, I'm sure you guys would like to be dismissed from your wonderful help today. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank it's been you for to helping. Be here.
2: Yeah.
3: Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah. I'll I finish. learned a lot about, I don't know, there's a lot of acronyms, ASL, that I didn't <laughs> know is. that I was reading, and I learned about...
1: H-A-S-L, Historical yeah. Advanced Qualia. I
2: wonder what the H was for. Historical. Yeah.
1: They're the ones like that have the actual, not the geomorphic boards that are just abstract representations, right? but actually historical maps pulled from oh. the actual photographs. Oh. Like
2: in all that these. Sounds um, like a movie more interesting.
1: Like, There's look at some. Can you tell that map's pulled from an actual. Whoa. Oh, they're okay. L-
2: You're
1: looking at the back of Valor of the Guards. <coughs> that is very detailed.
3: It's nice. That's nice. That's pretty impressive.
1: Oh, now they're asking questions. They're going to get a whole boring.
3: Well, oh, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I left something teacher. burning
2: on the stove. <laughs>
1: <gasps> See? Look at, oh, look at all man, the railways. Nice. See, that's more historically, like, Jeez. that's what railway yard would look like. Yeah. In uh-huh. this kind of uh, geomorphic boards, you might get one railroad or uh-huh. two to represent the railway yard or whatever. Yeah, so they pull all these drawings from actual. So everything's real. The 9th January Square in Stalingrad, the Nishavokhodskaya. Oh, and they have all the street names.
3: Communist Square. Hmm. Would you say that's is it harder?
1: Asar Skaya to play Main Street harder to play, um, or just a little more complex? Uh, I guess yeah, like playing Red Barricades or these games in the Factories, Valor of the Guards are uh, just a little well, it's a lot of density, and then there's cellar rules, and there, and you can move through sewers sometimes. These little circles oh. pop up somewhere else. Okay. You know, Do that's you, pretty yeah. cool. behind the line, and
2: Do you have a little. Sewer. There's a counter. Does it, counters that it says, show sewage on you? <laughs> no. <laughs> when you come up from that? I think that's
3: a little cosmetic.
1: Yeah, but sometimes you <laughs> come up in the wrong place. And then this, these are the docks that they were, the Russians kept bringing reinforcements into these docks, so the Germans want to try and get to these to win in some of the scenarios. Wow. Others you might just play for, like, capture the commissar's house or capture the railway buildings, so you could just play a little scenario. The biggest of these, the girl, Chris Koch in Germany, Um, we just interviewed her. She plays these massive ones with hundreds of counters, and they play them for like a couple years. She has a board that elevates up to her ceiling. Her husband built it with a pulley. Whoa. And then her daughter's puzzle is on there, too. Oh,
2: nice. She and
1: Toby or Tobias can play their... Game, massive, wow. massive historical game. and But
2: a year, years to play a game.
1: Yeah, I played one, I think, in 30 sessions, maybe, at Mark. Remember when I was going to Mark's house all the time, Mark Woods?
2: Yeah. For like yeah. a year
1: and a half. Yeah. Excuse me, a campaign game. Good for no, you. not a campaign game, a big historical game with 35 well. turns. Instead of five turns. 35 turns. We all had... You know, 30 to 40 units each that we were moving at each other, the four people. Wow. Played a couple of them, so lots of fun. Well, thank you for that insight. You guys want to start a big historical game tomorrow while we're locked in?
2: Uh, Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Let me me consider that. Yeah, I'll add
3: it to my list. (laughs) All right, well, get out of here. (laughs)
4: Oh, Jeff, Jeff, are you ready to go to Mayhem in Manila? I sure am, Dave. I've got my bags packed. I've got my passport and my hat. Do you have your OBA cards? No, I don't. How would I get some? Well, you'd have to go to Ritterkrieg and order some. Ritterkrieg? I don't know anything about it. Tell me. Well, this is
1: the great online store... Of ASL equipment, ASL wooden gaming products like dice towers, custom-made tabletops, an ammo box map and map case, and all kinds of
4: ASL products. You can order yours today and have it shipped to Mayhem in Manila. I wow, I'm going to get all that stuff. I know what I'll do. I'll tell my wife I can't afford to take her, but I'll take all my Ritter stuff with me. But, Jeff, you might be able to take her because a donor has donated our air flight oh, to Asia. Sweet. All right, then this is the best thing that could happen. I can take my wife, I can take all my Ritter Ritterkrieg equipment, and we're going to Mayhem, Mayhem and in Manila. Manila.
1: And these OBA cards aren't the crappy kind that we sold on our podcast. No. These are those really cool quality...
4: ASL OBA cards. It's a gigantic deck of cards that it, you can use for all of your OBA requirements. All of your OBA requirements. And
1: you know what makes ordering from Ritterkrieg the best option for any pre-orders? Tell me.
4: They have free shipping! <gasps> Impossible! Take that, MMP. Well, that's a beautiful thing. So, how do we get to, uh... Order this Ritterkrieg stuff. Well, you simply go to Ritterkrieg.com, R-I-T-T-E-R-K-R-I-E-G.com. I'm heading there right now. See you in Manila, Dave. See you in Manila.
1: Right, taking a look at the new edition of Bonsai Newsletter of Texas ASL, and boy, so much more than just a newsletter, isn't it? Uh, this is April two thousand twenty issue and volume twenty five, number one. In this issue, we have the, of uh, course, uh, Rick Rhinish checking in with the. Editors, Foxhole, talking about what's coming up in the issue. And a scenario analysis, uh, early morning action, Bounty Fire Productions 90, that comes with Crucible of Steel. And uh, it is by uh, Matt Shostak and the battle taking place in Kursk. And it's a smaller size scenario from that pack. So you can take a look at what Matt is saying here in the article. talks about these Russian advantages, disadvantages, uh, laying out a setup. He puts up a possible defense that you might want to do, never claiming this is the defense that you have to do or a flawless defense by any means. But it's good to look at, he talks about all the rationales for setting up the way he does, uh, analyzing the guns that exist, How the 37mm AT guns, uh, not going to fare well against the German tanks, uh, talks about possible use of the um, intentional uh, immobilization, deliberate immobilization shot option, um, possible then looking at the attack on the German side that they could try to envelop the Russians, um, come straight into the front. They have to clear out this village that's in here. And then he does a opening move, talking about uh, the Molotov projector, projectors being one of the better anti-tank weapons in this game. And how those could be used. Uh, Possible, like, for example, you get uh, strategic things like this on the attack. As mentioned, the Germans could try to envelop the Russians from one or both sides, but for purposes of this analysis, uh, this attack will be as subtle as a punch in the face. The Stugs will kick off the assault by trying to place ordnance smoke in front of the Russian front line. They'll even start crew exposed despite the sniper risk. To maximize their odds, being SS makes them elite for purposes of special ammo, so they'll have an S9. If both smoke placements succeed, then the overwatch fire group of three squads, an MMG and two LMGs, will try to light up the hedge line defenders on the Russian left. Some good early luck with right of fire could make things miserable for the defenders in this area. The other big stack may fire at the Russian squad in the forward-most-right front-line building, either with prep or as op-fire. Germans then can use smoke cover to run half-squads into the Russians to strip concealment and move full squads then to get adjacent with the hopes of killing them in close combat or maybe watching them break and rout away to avoid that fate which would give them a t- foothold in the wooden buildings. And he has one half squad moving along each flank. Their mission is to get around the Russian defense and make things more difficult for the Ruskis by making routing trickier, maybe even encircling some of them, or if they discover a vulnerable unit, like a Soviet crew manning a mortar or a 37L, try to take them out in close combat. Could work brilliantly or could be a total failure, He admits. So right there in that paragraph, you've got a lot of tactical things to think about. He is willing to set up uh, machine gun kill stacks with the attacker, having a leader with those to prevent the cowering on snake eyes. I mean, on doubles, well, snake eyes <laughs> and doubles. Um, use The use of smoke something you got to look at, especially, I think, when a special scenario rule gives you Uh, elite status for purposes of smoke. Uh, Well, they're SS troops. I guess they have it all the time. It's not a special scenario rule. But it's there for a reason, Uh, especially when you're the attacker. How do you remember to use that smoke? It's always been a weakness of mine. Uh, Talks about the flanking maneuvers, uh, getting behind. I, I know Mike Stubitz does that real well lately. The better he became as a player... He started to frustrate his opponents by sending a squad or two around the side. It may take him a turn or two to get in around the back. Um, and they can be effective. When I saw this layout here in the Bonsai newsletter, I'm thinking, well, these little things aren't going to do much. But as he says, you never know denying route they just have to have a line of sight the russians to these units there's a lot of open ground in this scenario setup so who knows possibility and it is possible to get into uh some close combat with a crew you know if an at gun or something misses a shot or two doesn't get right suddenly that little half squad's causing all kinds of trouble uh, so there you go. Uh, that's just an example of the kinds of great things you can find in this newsletter. This newsletter is free. When I first discovered these, I printed out a bunch of them because I love things in paper being very tactile. Lately, I haven't been doing that. Um, well, the thing was I could have taken notes on it better if I had this thing printed out. But uh, Then it gets into uh, an article on War Stories by Alan King. He is talking about playing. Bounding Fire Productions 114 Engineering Defeat with Eric Gerstenberg. Gerstenberg, sorry, Eric, and uh, this is telling stories, fun ASL stories, the kind you tell when you go out to lunch, when you're at a tournament with your buddies about the game. I'm sure people sitting nearby at a, at a booth at a restaurant are wondering what you're discussing, and but they probably think it sounds very fascinating. And then David Haley gives a a story about his game, uh, J-148, Last-Minute War. Actually, I was just looking at that scenario. Planning one to play on Vassal with Jeff. How ironic is that? Just tonight I was looking at J-148. Yeah, it has the airplanes that can get into a dogfight air support on both sides. Definitely Slovakians and Hungarians. I was looking at that. How ironic is that? Um. So that's just fun stories. Bring the issue up on your computer. Take a look. There is a great starter kit analysis for you new players. Excellent. War of the Rats look at Scenario S2. Kevin Bowles wrote this. And it seems like, well, I'll read this a little bit for you. Uh, going to do an in-depth review of a setup for a solo plane of a classic starter kit scenario S2 War of the Rats. The setup was done by Flavio Cisanti. Uh, I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce that correctly, F- Flavio. Um shiny new starter kit recruit who posted a picture of the setup on a Facebook group that he moderates. So he's taken he agreed the guy agreed to have it analyzed in this magazine. Uh, it's kind of stuff we've done before on the podcast and had vowed to do again, as we mentioned in the letters segment on a previous show, when a newer player was asking for this kind of analysis. But I would direct him and all of you looking for basic ASL information to hit up this Bonsai newsletter. It definitely gives you the basics right here in some really good detail. Nice job, Kevin, writing this up. Um, for one, he he starts off looking at the Russian defense. And as he would list a hex, like F7, that the author, Kevin, is looking at to analyze, I would stop reading, go to hex F7, and see if I came up with the same kinds of thoughts that Kevin had. And when I see an F7, as Kevin does see, but is a medium machine gun. With a 426 squad sitting out there ready to get prep fired at. All experienced players will tell you you the medium machine guns that are Russians and the heavies, they just get left behind every single time that you're trying to play the Russians. It just frustrates the heck out of you. They're not as quick to move as the Germans. They can't, you, a, a unit that routes cannot take a five portage point mach, medium machine gun with it. So you need someone that can step in there and then back that gun up. And then I'm looking at, I don't remember if Kevin said this or not, but a squad in G9, it's two hexes away as another conscript. And I'm thinking this rookie wants to have that squad be able to move into that medium machine gun and pick it up when the original owner inevitably breaks and routes he's a conscript but he's kind of far away to do that he's not adjacent so he can't just advance in and then pick up the weapon in the rally phase so that's a thing that i try and do a lot is have a squad behind adjacent and hopefully out of line of sight of enemy units that can then advance into that hex, pick up that weapon, rally it up, uh, or pick it up during the rally phase, and start firing. So that, it's that kind of analysis. Very, I know you experienced players, obviously, you know this stuff, but very basic, but very, very good, and very detailed. So if I read a little bit of this from Kevin... Right off the bat, we find several significant problems. Despite being a horrible piece of equipment, breakdown 11 and a whopping 5 portage points, the medium machine gun is the most substantial support weapon the Russians have. So it needs to be properly placed and properly managed to ensure it has the greatest impact on the Russians' probability of success. For placement, we have it here right across the street from a horde of German attackers. This exposes it to initial German prep fire, which includes a potential 24 up 1 from a full 9-2 neg lead kill stack, as well as a 12-shot from a flamethrower. Well, now when you set up the defense, you don't know what's going to happen across the street. But you know what the Germans have, and then it could end up across the street. So you want to plan for that possibility. Uh, The 6-morale will Likely break, this piece of equipment needs to be around for as long as possible so it can inflict the most damage on attacking units. And getting it broken and abandoned so you can't carry a 5-portage point support weapon with you in your out in the turn 1 prep fire phase is definitely not the way to accomplish that objective. For management, now here's some great stuff about having conscripts in your army. The 426 suffers, Russian, suffers from inexperienced penalties that represent a triple whammy here. These are, and he does much better detail than I could ever do, three movement factors. Yes, I just played some conscripts today with Mike Rizzi in our online game. You can see it in the Twitter feed. Had to remember that three movement point rule. In fact, it was that OS1 from Operation Schmidt. They were... Russians, actually, conscripted into the German army. It's a beast of a machine gun with five portage points. A full squad has a three portage point capacity. As you know, anything over that subtracts from the usable. Movement factors for movement. This results in humping that thing around being a two movement factor res- reduction. With just three movement factors to start with, it leaves a 426 squad with only one movement factor available. You can't even assault move into open ground, for goodness sakes. Moving a 426 medium machine gun combined pair into an adjacent building would require the 426 to declare. CX, or double time, and the additions and subtractions here are about as complex as math math, sorry for laughing, but about as complex as math gets in starter kit, and result in a final movement factor available of three portage points, with five portage points, support weapon is two portage points over carry the, he puts a mathematical symbol in here divided by pi ratio what on earth two so you can barely make it two spaces so you can barely make it one hex without declaring c x and since you would be cX getting there you cannot advance into another building during the advance phase rule three point seven and he is he is that's why I laughed he is right it's funny how that portage point thing and then when you go c x it changes the Points that frustrated me to no end. Just make CX just be two, just be two. Don't make it be a one when you're over by this much, and etc. etc. And the math it's when I break my fingers out, I notice in ASL. Now, there are convenient charts (laughs) telling you if you have a leader and a squad, if you have a CX leader, a CX squad, and they existed even before spooky charts which are wonderful charts to find that information. So, for example, uh, he lays that out, and then he remembers, which I think... uh Uh-oh, I think I forgot this on my game with Mike Rizzi. I don't think he remembered. A B number's reduced by 1 because it's a conscript unit... Yikes. Yeah, I wonder if I was exempt from that in that other, other game. But anyway, and then cowering two columns. And that tells you how terrible it is to have these bad quality troops manning that medium machine gun. So, and he, he, of course, he's absolutely right. And he did a better job than I could ever do trying to lay that out for you. And he also talks about the uh, tactical placements for the Germans as they attack an overriding principle when assaulting in a city fight is to get in the buildings. Only from there can you do things like safely place DCs, survive the doubled firepower of adjacent shots, and actually achieve victory conditions of location, control, or enemy elimination. You also must keep the pressure on at times, even if the opponent doesn't have the reinforcements coming in mid-scenario. To do that, you need to, A, he states, get your broken units back into the fight quickly, B, kill off or keep DMing the enemy broken squad's failure to rout is your friend. So he points out, starting over in F8 area, we see three, four, six, sevens. They're lined up in the street, but they're really uncertain as to what they can do. They can do a 12 firepower if they fire a fire group and prep at hexie 8 12 plus 3 shot must roll 6 or less to get a normal check. The 426 will fail that 58% of the time, fail the morale check. Thus, you only have a 1 in 4 chance of breaking one 426 squad if you prep fire all three 467s. And remember, if you're shooting, you aren't moving. These guys also have the same problem as the Russians in that area regarding leadership. There isn't any. If they break, they will need to self-rally, which is an iffy proposition. So I think he's going to be talking about, well, you want to start moving with these troops. points out to the flamethrower, uh, could be employed by the 8 leader. In fact, many SK scenarios, there is a flamethrower in the OB. You'll find a spare 8 leader just for this purpose. The single man counter are elite. They have a one portage point, and they can use the flamethrower full strength. His morale is better than the four six sevens, and he points out to read a J Richardson A S L starter kit tutorial document to learn more about how single man counters are awesome with D C S and flamethrowers. So again, go into this article. Uh, he does a fantastic job of pointing out everything starter kit players would need to know, certainly about how to set up. Kevin, good job on this article. The next section of the Bonsai volume 25, number one, has asked the Grog Nerds. We posed a question to our panel of Grog Nerds. What would you like to see in a new ASL product? Wes Yvonne talks about um, maybe a good new campaign game, but he believes tournament scenarios are in high demand. You know, he would like to see new ones to be using at the tournaments. Alan King says, I like large two-player scenarios and campaign games the best. Talks about the good old kind of U series of ASL games from the old days when the scenarios ran 8 to 15 plus turns long. And also then he goes, this is basically about everything. <laughs> uh, just a little... Variation, a lot of a lot of variety, extreme winter, fog. Why not some rain? Paddies. He lists everything except caves. Basically, Jim Farrell would like to see an action packed devoted to massive tank battles around Brody Lust Dubno in western Ukraine. These were during June July of 1941. He says. Ross Zarzecki would like a new map or historical map to look over. Once the maps laid out, he finds himself spending time imagining whatever tactical problems a particular terrain could create and how one could go about overcoming them. Shorter scenarios he likes over longer ones. In the magazines, he said he'd rather read, read about ASL tactics like smoke, OBA, skulking, etc., You'd like to see another historical ASL that takes place in the PTO or desert. Yeah, I think desert's a little bit uh, neglected. He mentions battles for Knightsbridge, Shanghai, Buna in New Guinea, Iwo, Kohima. That's been done too, actually, somewhere. John Hyler. Like to see MMP offer customized single man counter sheets? Sure. Kind of like the ones Bounty Fire Productions put out. Uh, the original SL rules had an optional segment for a single man counter campaign game. Player could start with a 7 0 single man counter and then go through a series of scenarios. He would like to see that for advanced squad leader. And he lists some special scenario rules that he thinks could be fun. For example, oh, allow an AL to direct the fire of any one weapon in the tank during the fa- fire phase. Armor leader. Already have a Neg-2 AK on a target. Use the armor leader's dial modifier on a coaxial machine gun shot. Sam Tyson says... He realizes he will play almost any type of ASL scenario, but he likes combined arms. Yes, it's a broad, subjective category, but he will gravitate more towards scenarios that have armor and infantry, especially if both sides are so equipped. Whether it's a city fight, and I need armor to help infantry attack or defend a village or open ground action, where the infantry has to rely on the armor for protection, there's a fun scenario in there. Bridge crossings, he asked, does anyone really like these? They're always a challenge for the attacker. There are usually enough tools to get the job done. I kind of actually like bridge crossings. (laughs) Tigers, he says, there's almost 60 scenarios with Tiger in the title. Usually those are combined arms scenarios since Tigers usually have some infantry support. Huh. Did not know that. Matt Chostak says he enjoys playing larger scenarios that are dense with action. So he'd like to have a set of maps with larger hex size, maybe as large as Red Barricade's Extra Room makes stacking easier. And then the issue rounds out with a scenario analysis. Knife in the Flank. That's Bounding Fire Productions 103 by Matt Chostak. And again, he's going to do... A Good analysis of talking about advantages, disadvantages, defense. The objective here is to conduct a fighting withdrawal in the center of the village where the Victory hex buildings are and to make a last stand then there. And he analyzes the weaponry available, does also a sample uh, setup, talks for the Germans, the defensive setup, talks about the attack, What the Russians want to do to be able to move on to the board. Cross uh, quite a lot of open ground, it's looking like. In conclusion, he says, a knife in the flank. Looks like a fun scenario. Can be knocked out in a few hours. Back to basics ASL. See if you can hold or take the village without a lot of special weaponry or fortifications. Enjoy. There's a starter kit corner section, Novices on the Attack Part 3 by Peter DiCiocchio. Sorry if I mispronounced your name, Pete. Talking about two main ideas, being too conservative, inexperienced players, too timid in the attack, prep firing, The prep firing, you can't move when you're prep firing, and a bit about risky maneuvers, and then a failure to isolate the battlefield. He's basically pointing out, um, that the attacker wants to outnumber the defender and then use some of his force to prevent the rest of the defense from coming over to that portion and helping out. Uh, afraid of ghosts, novices can be too passive due to not knowing where the enemy is. Yeah, I've kind of got to the point where I just run things at concealed squads and have some half squads and do it or whatever just go for it, uh, can't draw fire. Inexperienced attackers lack the experience to use less important units to scout the defense. Having a scouting unit move forward to present a target to an opponent's defense can accomplish one of two things. First, scouting unit could compel a defender with a hair trigger to fire on the unit, and then this action allows the attacker's other squads to move with less resistance. Second, if the defender doesn't take the bait, the attacker will have moved forward, toward the objectives. And then this issue rounds out with uh, Rick's article while talking about the Texas team tournament, the annual 28th, which will not be happening this year like everything else, sadly. But absence makes the heart grow fonder, doesn't it, everybody? So some club notes, and you can get this newsletter at ASL, ASL texasasl.com, Bonsai, all of them are free. Can't beat that. We want to thank the whole group there for giving us that whopping amount of wonderful information. And that's what's in that box. And you're going to want to get it, read it. Lots of great things to see there. Back to the family.
0: A telephone.
1: All right, well, um, thanks for coming, Aaron and Laura. Of course.
2: Yeah, it's been good to be here.
1: And we'll, maybe we'll hear from you next time. <laughs> but yeah. Maybe, probably not. I'll get back with together with Jeff on a recording remote. In the meantime, remember to roll low.
2: Rally well. But, but not, not when, when, you're when you're playing, playing us. us.
1: Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.
2: Bye.